travellers, and welcome to edition 58, I really cannot believe it, of our podcast, You Should Have Been There, with me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder. And also, we're joined by the person who has to live up to the title of today's podcast, Confessions of a Tour Guide. And he is James Hill, a British guide who lives in Italy and who I first met when he showed me that while perhaps not all roads lead to Rome, the streets of the Italian capital are full of secrets. Uh, James, you are steeped in the stories of Rome and all of Italy and beyond. But where are you joining us from today? Oh, well, well, good good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, um, uh, Mike. Good morning, Simon. I am in the hills just north of Rome uh, on a very, very sunny morning. Um, yes, uh, a lovely, lovely early spring day uh, here in Lazio. Are you um, under COVID restrictions of any kind? Uh, we, well, we are in the lowest tiers. We, we have essentially four tiers, white, yellow, orange and red. And, um, two, well, most of Italy, three quarters of Italy uh, um, are in a yellow tier. Um, and what that means is that uh, restaurants and bars uh, have to close after six o'clock. Uh, but interestingly, all shops, uh, restaurants, galleries, museums, archaeological sites are open. Um, but the big shopping malls, you know, the, the, the big shopping centres, they're shut at the weekend, along with other um, sort of larger attractions in order to sort of maintain the social distancing. Well, which makes um, the life of a tour guide, I imagine, particularly tricky at the moment. I've just been uh, looking at your schedule to lead many Italian tours this year on behalf of Cicerone uh, from Venice to Sicily. And you've also got trips to Albania, France and Slovenia. Um, nothing on your more long haul expertise at the moment, which I know includes um, Barbados, Boston and beyond. Well, well, yes, um, we have an economy that's uh, that's open, but sadly, it's lacking in visitors, tourists and general cash flow to indulge in that economy. And indeed, I would be looking at uh, going off um, to the US, uh, to the Caribbean uh, uh, um, at the moment. But but of course, nobody really knows when or how to make a move because of course we don't know when these restrictions are going to be lifted well uh, james how long have you actually been in the uh, the business of guiding tours i'm actually uh, uh, coming up to my 30th anniversary of coming to italy i i got here uh, age 21 in 1991 so i'm really not quite sure where these 30 years have gone and you know like a lot of um, inquisitive curious brits italy had long been a love affair you know i started off as a rep I worked as a as a holiday rep, telling people about Rome, um, with one or two British tour operators, and then, um, you know, I, I've always felt that one should be dumbed up. You can dumb down, but dumbing up is is, is a much better organic process. And uh, I'm very much a good example of someone that was dumbed up, and I just could not but react to what was around me. Particularly when I was in Florence, I had a stint in Egypt, and then when I got to Rome, um, it was it was an ev- evangelical conversion for me. And I just operated as a sort of, um, well, there's a talking sponge um, <laughs> in the West Country. And, uh, you know, I, I just soaked it all up. And then I started taking people around on walks. And then I sort of gave up the repping. Um, and I started doing sort of more uh, bespoke tours for small groups of people and then larger groups of people. Can we talk about a typical trip? Um, what are your prime considerations when you're actually planning the nuts and bolts? Is it how to convey most effectively the astonishing cultural riches of the location or where the loos are? Um, 
Well, first and foremost, you need to know where the loos are, but above all, they, they need to eat properly. <laughs> um, we tend to find that um, people's thirst for intellectual uh, curiosity and, uh, you know, the objects you're going to see um, are generally confined to the morning. By the time they've had lunch, uh, you've lost them. And remember, they're not here to listen to me. Um, I'm essentially uh, somebody who's going to tease out something that's interesting, but I'm re really of the firm belief that they need to enjoy themselves. And it is a holiday, you know, it's not a study tour, it's not a school trip. So, um, you know, if I was doing, let's say, a, 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 a six day tour, let's say to Tuscany, and I was vis visiting uh, Siena, you know, we, we would visit Siena over the course of a morning and we'd have a lovely lunch because uh, everybody likes a lovely lunch. <laughs> and then maybe a little bit of free time and, and a little lollipop in the afternoon, a lollipop me. Something, you know, something on the way back to your transport that's just too good to miss. Could, could you give us an example of a lollipop? I'm rather intrigued by the idea of a lollipop. What sort of thing would be a, a sort of treat, a little extra something? Um, a lollipop is, I, I think, an unscheduled visit. When I give you, I give you a very good example. When you go to the Vatican, um, now I'm a very lucky bunny. I get to go privately. And one of, the, one, of, one of the most wonderful things you can do if you visit the Vatican privately is that when you're walking through the Raphael rooms, uh, which, which is a, a, a series of, of five rooms painted by Raphael um, in the early 16th century, well, you can go off into another room and then uh, you stand in probably the greatest chapel painted in the middle of the 15th century, painted by uh, Beato Angelico or Fra Angelico. This is um, the uh, 15th century uh, painter who frescoed a private chapel for Pope Nicholas V. And this is one of the most exquisite spaces in Europe. And you normally have to ask permission. Well, you always have to ask permission. But I never like to announce it. And I don't like to put it in the blurb. Because to go into this little room, which is about the size of, a, of someone's bedroom, is just one of the most astonishing things. It's absolutely magnificent. Likewise, when I go up to Trento in the South Tyrol, Trentino Alto Adige in northern Italy is just glorious. You know, we're in the, in the area of the Dolomites. We're south of Innsbruck. We're still in Italy. Um, but there is a, a magnificent room in, uh, in a castle, very undervisited. I mean, Trento is sort of a little bit like Verona without tourists. I mean, you can go into this, this room that's decorated um, in uh, the four, well, in the, in, the tw in the four seasons. There are essentially uh, 12 frescoes for each month. And these frescoes were painted at the beginning of the 14th century. And they are the Sistine Chapel of the North, if I may be so glib. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, we just go in the room and people are absolutely astonished. And there, therein lies the thing. You've got to build up the capacity for the traveller to be astonished. And I'm not mentioning why and for what reason they'll be astonished is a part of the trick. I'm, I'm going to confess that I'm not a complete stranger to tour guiding, although I've been, I guess, more of an apprentice than anything else. I was in uh, uh, on a, a Baltic cruise where I was, um, well, to use the term very loosely, the onboard entertainment. But I was also allowed or encouraged to um, uh, go and help as the sort of back marker um, for, for the tours that the ship ran ashore. Um, and talking to guides, um, particularly I remember one in beautiful uh, Estonian capital, Tallinn, who you know, I was just trying to get more understanding about the role of a tour guide. And she just said, if it's raining, you're going to lose. You know, you can be 110% and people will still not uh, appreciate you. Is it true that any outdoor tour is doomed in uh, by the rain? Um, certainly not with the British. 
because um, if you both <laughs> ventured up to Hadrian's Wall on you know one of the roughest days going, you, you know, we, we Brits, we, we'll get something out of it. Absolutely. I don't think we've ever let the weather put us off. Um, I've only ever been, well, defeated uh, on one occasion. And I do remember uh, being at the Gardens of Nympha. Uh, for many, the Gardens of Nympha are the greatest gardens in Italy. Uh, they're modern gardens. Um, they were uh, created in the 20th century. And if you're looking for Arcadian perfection in a garden, you get down to Nympha, which is about 40 miles south of Rome. And, you know, normally weather isn't so much an issue for me because, you know, I, when we go over to Cuba or Barbados or the Caribbean, you know, it's normally nice weather. Likewise, America, you know, we're inside a lot. You know, when I go to New York, I have been the coldest I've ever been in my life in New York. But you don't let it get you down. You know, you're in New York, for Lord's sake. But this one day in the middle of May, about 10 years ago, I really did think, I, I, I you know what, I've just lost the will to live. And it was... Uh, on a visit to, to the gardens of Nympha. But you know what? The um, uh, the British guests who uh, I was with said, look, we're here. We're not going to be here every day. We're going to see this garden. And yes, it did dampen things, but we didn't lose the guests. You know, you, you can still get something out of it. I, I was wondering whether, particularly in your uh, uh, sort of younger days, when presumably the groups that you were guiding weren't necessarily people who had uh, had signed up you know for a, um, a lengthy tour and kind of knew what they were getting did you sort of have uh, difficult groups or groups who it was not so easy to get through to and uh, enthuse about the things you were seeing well I, I well I think the, the, the thing with cultural travel is that um, the guests I've always brought uh, around Italy and elsewhere uh, tend to engage in uh, the cultural offerings of their own country you know, so most of the guests, particularly uh, the slightly maturer guests, you, you know, they're, they're members of the National Art Fund. You know, they're members of the Royal Academy or the British Museum. And so they're genuinely engaged um, with uh, uh, what cultural travel has to offer, both domestically and internationally. Um, they tend to know what they're getting. But then again, you know, I've done lots of private tours with families and, you know, mum and dad have been keen to sort of, well, ram something down their children's throats. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, although, you know, I mean, I too have children and my, my kids have been all over Italy with me. Um, and they sort of huff and puff. But to be honest, they, they it does stay there. And um, I think it's only when I've had sort of younger elements that they sort of got a little bit fed up after, well, the ABC, you know, another B church. <laughs> 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 um, but but um, like battles, presumably the best planning doesn't always survive first contact with the uh, travel business, which you will know better than anybody can be unpredictable. What What's the worst case of, um, I guess, first day foul ups you've ever had? Um, well, look, I, operating a cultural tour, operating most things in continental Europe, including Britain, is is largely very stress free. Um, the only time I got picked up on the first day uh, was when um, I, I was in Cuba. And this, this has happened, um, this has actually happened again this year. Uh, I normally use, we normally use a sort of a, a headset system. So the guests get a, uh, a sort of headphones and they have a little black box, which is, which is a receiver. And it means that, you know, I don't have to bark at them, you know, uh, sort of, well, to, to the group, they can stand within 100 metres uh, from me. I have a little sort of like a Britney Spears stage mic. And, <laughs> you know, I can sort of speak to them 
and they can be engaged. And of course, the nice thing is, you know, they can switch it off without me knowing. All they've got to do is feign interest. But (laughs) this piece of kit is massively useful. But it's like Nutella. When you taste it, you don't go back. Um, We use these, these gizmos, these sort of listening sets, wherever we've gone. But unfortunately, I very stupidly, and I learned my lesson, but I very stupidly put um, these gizmos in my luggage because I couldn't be bothered to carry them from Rome to London, from London Ooh, to London. Yeah. Anyway, I got stopped and they basically kept me um, in sort of, well, quarantine, you know, no pun intended, um, because they thought I was bringing in 24 um, mobile phone devices or satellite equipment. So I was essentially oh. detained. Uh, the kit was confiscated. And, you know, this, this, is, this, is, um, this, is, this is expensive stuff. And um, but granted, they didn't sort of completely sequester the kit. They um, they let me have it when I left left the country ten days later. Um, mm. but it did mean that the group had to go without me. I mean, you know, I, I do have a colleague because you know when we go abroad, uh, we we tend to travel. You know, there's 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 myself. There's a there maybe maybe another lecturer or a tour manager or a local guide. And so I had to leave the party, and I showed up at midnight, um, <laughs> having been. <laughs> sort of detained at Havana Airport all that time. So that, that was my biggest first day sort of, well, muck up. <laughs> um, James, I wanted to ask you about um, uh, about other, other tours because presumably uh, there's a reasonable amount of competition. Uh, I know it's true when you go around a cathedral or indeed a city like Dubrovnik that uh, you might find yourself as a a generally sort of independent traveller in a minority while four or five uh, very large um, tour groups um, sort of take over the the streets um, holding um, red lolly well the leaders holding different coloured lollipops to use the word and and, uh, generally you kind of um, uh, feel shall I say less than um, well less than uh, warmth for for the, uh, the the tour guides for the for the tours which have often come off cruises but uh, i mean do you sort of get mixed up in that kind of uh, thing um, no not really because of course uh, remember uh, and this this is really going to be uh, the price for this pandemic i i really don't think any sort of tour managers or guides or lecturers are going to be taking much more than 20 people to anything. I think the day of the group of 40, you know, oh. um, the, the cruise situation, I think those those days are numbered. But, I mean, you mentioned Dubrovnik. Um, but, you know, Dubrovnik um, was always sort of um, uh, uh, bearable because, remember, um, a lot of the cruise people are only doing a sort of a two-hour walk around the walls and the city. And when you go up the Stradun, um, yes, everyone's absolutely rammed along that, that, that glorious central thoroughfare yeah. uh, to get from the northern gate. Uh, down to the port but um to be honest you only have to go into the the, the dominican monastery to find the paintings by titian and there's hardly anybody in there um so you could actually get away from it and uh, but granted i always used to send my charges up on their own on the walls <laughs> i thought you know you're free to do the walls because i mean they you know the, i mean they are walls you know to be honest <laughs> I mean, they're interesting but they are just walls fantastic as they are and i'd rather actually be looking at them rather than walking along them i always thought thought that was a little bit of a bore to be honest with you um <laughs> do you become expert in sizing up the people on your tours when you meet them presumably for the first time at the airport do you are you thinking oh she looks a good egg or he's going to be trouble what are the telltale signs james well 
One of one of the greatest guides of all time um, uh, was, of course, um, uh, uh, von uh, von Goethe, Johann von Goethe. Uh, you know, when he took people around in the 18th century, he generally based his um, sort of judgment on them. Uh, and indeed, he separate he separated a mere amateur from a connoisseur by asking them the difference between a column and a pillar. <laughs> Um, now, of course, columns are round, pillars are square. And, um, you know, so, so to be honest, the, the people I, uh, that, that, that normally travel with us and certainly come on sort of, sort of the connoisseurie tours that we like to run, that I like to run, um, are generally people who already know the difference between a column and a pillar. So um, the fact that they've actually bothered to fork out to come with a collective means that they're social animals. And I think if um, this pandemic has taught us anything, that is that we're perhaps more social than we would care to admit. You know, we like groups, we like uh, communities, um, but, you know, we're not sort of 40-odd people or whatever. However, I I would say this, um, gentlemen, uh, don't ask me why, but um, uh, two-thirds of of the guests I tend to bring are uh, women. And sometimes they are compelled, said women, to bring their husbands. And the husbands would certainly prefer to be on the golf course or watching the (laughs) footy or the rugby. And normally the, the giveaway, I can tell you now, gentlemen, is when they start rattling coins. If there are going to be coins left, I don't know if we're going to have coins anymore, but if there are coins, you tend to hear them being rattled in their pocket. You know, when Muggins here begins to bang on about said column and said pillar. Right. So, yes, um, the giveaway is the rattling of the coins, gents. Gosh, I wonder what will take over from that. The uh, the, the, the tapping of the, the, the uh, contactless card may be. Yes, <laughs> And, and they're presumably thinking, when am I going to be able to spend this on a beer um, or, or, or something similar? Um, but but what, to what extent is a tour guide actually a drinking buddy or a social worker or indeed a therapist? I, th- I think we're all I, I think we're all three. Um, uh, I know I really think we're all three because uh, uh, travel, uh, as you both know, isn't so much about the destination. It's about the journey. Um, you could say that about marriage, actually. Uh, um, in fact, you could probably say that about most things. Um, but but yeah, yeah. I mean, I have made some very, very dear friends. And I've made those friends not so much sort of um, uh, speaking to them, because I've always been of the view that, that one shouldn't tell people what to think. Uh, you're essentially uh, um, persuading them to think. And it's to perhaps use travel as a vehicle through which history can be understood, because as we all know, history can only be learned from people who study it. And um, that was never more so in demand as now. In fact, I think history is one of the most important subjects that one could, could, could study, because by golly, we need to know where we've been, where we are, and hopefully where we're going. But, um, uh, you know, I, I've made some great friendships having a beer. I, in fact, um, I have a great, great pal uh, uh, who, who has, has always been a client. He lives in South Wales, so he's, he's trapped in Cardiff. Um, but my friend Stephen and I have had some memorable evenings. And I, I, talking about beer, um, when I do go to the US and, and in other parts of Europe, one of my favorite things is discovering craft beers. It's my new thing, gentlemen, because mm. red wine doesn't seem to agree with me anymore, which is a disaster. But I discovered a wine in Los Angeles, uh, sorry, a beer um, uh, a few years ago when I was doing a cultural tour to Los Angeles, says he. I mean, who does a cultural tour to, to Los Angeles? But um, I, I did one for a week and I discovered a beer called um, Wolf's Amongst Weeds. There's a name for a beer. It's, it's a Californian IPA called uh, Wolf Amongst Weeds. And um, uh, we basically 
took to the wolves amongst weeds. We had a few that night um, in Pershing Square in downtown Los Angeles. So, yes, um, they do become drinking pals. Um, but, but but I also think that, that, that travel is therapeutic. It's certainly cathartic. Uh, you know, the ancients were as hardwired into understanding where they had come from as much as we, you know. I mean, the Romans were obsessed with the Greeks. Uh, you know, we were obsessed with um, who has come before and what they have achieved through the built record, through architecture, through artistic output. And, and that will never change. Uh, that will never change. Do you think that the skills that uh, you have uh, acquired, learnt uh, over the years, do you think they have um, made it possible for you to uh, make an interesting tour out of just about anywhere? So let's just say for the sake of argument, a relatively dull part of uh, uh, Streatham uh, in South uh, West London, where I live. Do you think you would be able to, you know, given a bit of time to research it, to make a, an intriguing tour out of a trip round the uh, the residential back streets and across the common uh, <laughs> and past the pond? Do you think you would be able to do that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I know it sounds glib, but all roads really do lead to Rome. And not only do they lead to Rome, they go back out in the opposite direction. I mean, they're, they're kind of, you know, two-way dual carriageways. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I, I have spent quite a lot of time in, in London over the last year. I mean, I'm not from London. Um, I'm from the West Country. But uh, uh, my partner, um, my gorgeous girl, um, lives in Camden. And during lockdown, I did, that, I did that one thing I very, very rarely do. I mean, I, I know London from the tube. I mean, I know more about London underground than overground. But I really did walk London. Um, over the last year, and I found myself picking out all sorts of things that perhaps I'd seen in Italy that, that the British had referred to. Now, you know, I'm not talking about sort of Lord Burlington's house at Chiswick, um, you know, John Nash's Cumberland Terrace in Regent's Park. Um, I, th I think London in particular uh, can have pretty much anything drawn out of it. And I think I, I must say, uh, Mike, I've never been to Streatham, so may maybe I should get down there and we can do a little chat on brutalism and uh, and all of that. Um, uh, I'm, I'm marking my card for a, a podcast, which is actually an outside broadcast when we are allowed to go around Streatham with, with you. And I look forward to uh, uh, discovering with you. Um, I, I have to ask, because this is all about confessions, James, um, uh, in our romance on the road edition, which marked uh, Valentine's Day, um, we had an adventure guide, Charlie Hopkinson, saying that Overland trucks are the best dating app ever. Does does that sort of thing go on on your trips? Any um, holiday romances among your charges or indeed involving the guides? Um, well, it, it's funny. I, I did think one day when when, um, when the ash cloud happened, remember that? Oh. Um, I, I was doing a study tour on Caravaggio, the, uh, uh, the Baroque painter uh, from Milan who spent most of his career uh, in Rome. And we were doing a study tour, you know, just a couple of days before um, the guests were, were to fly back. Um, uh, Europe was shut down uh, for that, for the ash cloud. Uh, this was Aya Fiaccio in um, April 2010, if I'm not mistaken. That's right, April 2010. And, uh, you know, um, people do socialise uh, on these things. And we do have a lot of single ladies and um, one or two sort of either for, for, for because they're widowed or for other reasons. Um, and it has happened on occasion where um, guests have sort of got together in a sort of a lady gentlemanly 
um, sort of, um, well, uh, mature relationship, if you see what I mean, um, the kind of second or third time round. And I did think, well, maybe, you know, if travel is for the dust bucket, we could have a sort of, I don't know, um, Chicharoni the matchmaker, um, you know, <laughs> uk or something. Um, but 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 no. Um, I think the problem with guides 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 are terrible. Um, you know, two guides should never get together, because of course um, one of our biggest failings is the incapacity to listen. And one of the things that I've learned is that perhaps instead of talking so much, I should learn to listen a bit more. And two guides, I can't. I mean, you know, lemon and sugar do complement each other. You can't have lemon and lemon and sugar and sugar together. That's a disaster. I'll try and unravel that uh, that that philosophical statement, and uh, and you should have been there. By the way, next week we will be discussing uh, philosophy. Can I just ask um, a, a couple of uh, specifics, though, James? Um, you're intending to leave this tour in August called Verona and the Valpolicella, and probably like me, Mick only thought that that was a kind of wine. Um, what do you provide that makes that worth three thousand pounds for six days? Because clearly, I could get a a kind of city break in Verona for maybe 500 quid. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, we'll be going, God willing, in uh, mid-July. And uh, we like to stay comfortably. So first and foremost, we stay in uh, a villa hotel just outside of Verona, uh, which is a part of a vineyard. And so we stay pretty comfortably. There's an indoor and an outdoor pool and a spa. And the reason why we don't stay in Verona is because, you know, July's pretty hot. And normally in Italy, uh, you know, I'm doing things in February, March, April, May, perhaps a little bit of June if it's if it's the north. Um, and then September, October, November. I rarely, rarely do anything in Italy in July and August because mm. it's a little bit hot. But of course, in Verona, uh, we're keen to go to the um, festival, uh, the rather brilliant opera festival that takes place at the Roman Arena which is the third largest uh, Roman amphitheatre. Um, but unlike the amphitheatres in Rome and the one down at Capua, uh, uh, the uh, amphitheatre at Verona uh, actually stages opera. And uh, to, to behold Aida in a Roman arena is to really understand what opera was made for in the first place. I mean, there are 400 people wow. on stage. Uh, <laughs> it's packed with quite a lot, but, but, but you know, we do visit Verona uh, this, uh, as, a, well, we walk around the city uh, for two mornings. So we do walk around uh, central Verona to look at the, uh, um, you know, the cathedral, uh, the churches. Uh, we tend to uh, avoid the shamrockery and the rather sort of tourist claptrap of uh, one gentleman called Romeo and his uh, rather nice little bit of young fluff on the side um, named Juliet. Um, you know, it's good for tourist dollars, all of that, but you, you, you pretty much have to avoid the Romeo and Juliet stuff if you can. Uh, just picking you up there, a, a word I heard, which I've never heard before, shamrockery. Is that, a, is that a tour guide word? No, well, actually, again, my, my great friend and colleague, Tom, um, who is Irish, shamrockery is the sort of, well, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of the tourist tack, the, uh, the rather moot um, uh, uh, sort of stories that are pulled together. Uh, because let's face it, gentlemen, most of the best stories usually aren't, aren't very true. Um, <laughs> the, the fact that, you know, Romeo and Juliet... Um, or Juliet went on said balcony. And by the way, they bolted the balcony onto sort of a random medieval palace, uh, you know, just to sort of jolly it along. And, um, you, you know, it's sort of, uh, we might call it a tourist trap. <laughs> 
Well, do you know what, chaps? I mean, here's an anecdote for you. I took a, a very, very charming um, uh, American uh, dentist from New York, and he'd never been to Italy before. And he, he, he sort of said to me, he said, oh, James, you know, could, could you just start from the start and work your way up? And I said, well, it didn't really work like that. You know, we, we're going to sort of, um, you know, we're not going to do it chronologically. But we, we came to the end of a very lovely morning. And, um, you know, he'd never been to Italy before. He was in his 50s. And uh, I said, well, crikey, you know, you'd, you'd love Florence. He said, why not Venice? And do you know what he said to me? He said, he said, Jim, don't need to go to Venice. We've got it in Vegas. <laughs> so, so, gentlemen, I think if we do another podcast, in fact, we could, this could run as a series. We could call it Got It in Vegas. <laughs> dodgy tourist sites that aren't quite the real thing. Okay, it's a deal, James. A podcast on uh, we've got it in Vegas, and can we just add uh, we've got it in Streatham, uh, for which you will be leading the tour. Um, but uh, thinking about next week's podcast, we're going to be uh, contemplating the meaning of travel, uh, what philosophers over the years have had to uh, say about it, and uh, maybe consider how um, we might think more deeply about our travels. Yes, and we'll be hearing from the philosopher Dr Emily Thomas, author of The Meaning of Travel, Philosophers Abroad. Um, and James, thank you for your grand tour through the practicalities of uh, group travel. You can find out more about James's trips this year if you look at uh, chicharoni.co.uk. But all those details will be on uh, our website, anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there. And of course, the best way to contact us is on our Twitter feed, which is at you should have BT. Uh, but for now, from me, Simon Calder. And me, Mick Webb. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, gentlemen. Arrivederci. Arrivederci.